Come with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. We're going to keep looking at how to change outcomes and how to operate in faith to create something new for your future. Abraham, in the New Testament, particularly by Paul, is called the father of faith. We're encouraged in Romans chapter 4 to walk in the steps of our father, Abraham. Uh, We're encouraged that if we have a faith that is like Abraham's, that we will be blessed with believing Abraham. So uh, what's in the Bible is not just good Bible stories that is to read and educate us about God. It is that, but it is also stuff that we can take, and if we can look at it in the right way, we can begin to see how to apply or make application of those things in our lives. Amen? And so in... Uh, Genesis chapter 15, we'll pick up reading in verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Everybody say vision. <laughs> came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? Everybody say, seeing. <laughs> what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And then the Lord said, look, everybody say, look, (laughs) look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house will be my heir. And behold, everybody say, behold, (laughs) obviously trying to make a point. And behold, the word of the Lord came saying, notice it didn't say he heard it. He saw it. The word of the Lord came saying, this one shall not be heir, but one who will come from your own body, shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look, everybody say look. Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. And I'm going to quit reading there. The first thing I want to look at a couple of things that Abram does that we can take and evaluate how we're living our life and whether or not uh, when we use Abram as kind of, or Ab- Abraham, Abram, he hasn't had his name changed yet, but when we use him as kind of our measure to look at uh, how do we interact with God in the life of faith and we can kind of see how we're doing, right? So the first thing, the first thing that you'll notice is that God comes to Abram personally. Uh, he doesn't come to him by way of writings. He doesn't come to him by way of someone else's testimony. He doesn't come to him by way of preaching. Uh, there's not anybody else involved here. Nobody's, nobody's prophesying over Abram. Nobody's bringing him a word. He's not reading about somebody else's encounter. He's having his own personal encounter. And so God is revealing himself into a way, in a way that Abram at that moment needs God to reveal himself. And so the first thing that we need to know about the life of faith is we have to learn how to engage the presence of God, not just the book of the Lord. There's a huge difference between knowing what's the the book of the Lord and knowing the Lord of the book. (laughs) Uh, the, The Bible says about itself, you know, we've done things to the Bible that the Bible never said about itself. We've almost deified it in some ways. We've almost made it a God. 
in and of itself. But the Bible says that uh, in Psalm 119, one of those verses, you know, that's the longest chapter in the Bible, so forgive me for not remembering the verse reference, but it's in Psalm 119. The psalmist says, Your word, O Lord, is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. And so, but the interesting thing is, you never just look at a light in and of itself, right? I mean, we don't walk in and just look up and say, wow, isn't that a great light up there? You, you almost take the light for granted because you understand that the light is there not to reveal itself. The light is there to reveal something else. And so, unfortunately, in our Western culture, we've made almost knowing the Bible an end in and of itself. It, it would be like sitting around and looking up at the light and studying the light. <laughs> And missing everything that the light was revealing. And so the, the, the lamp is not the journey and the light is not the path. The lamp is there to illuminate the journey and the light is there to illuminate the path. Our goal is to learn how to take what's in the Bible and allow it to illuminate the reality of who God is and the reality of who we are so that it leads us into personal encounters and interactions with Him. It's, it is totally different to know about the Lord as, as opposed to knowing the Lord. And our goal, if we're making disciples, has to be for people to know the Lord and to encounter the Lord on a personal level. But we're taught in our culture that God spoke, a lot of us, that God spoke in the Scriptures and that's it. Or we're not taught the more intuitive ways of knowing. It's interesting, Jesus said this, he said, uh, I'm going away. You know, he walked the earth, he said, I'm going away. And, I, and, you know, for a long time as a Christian, I thought, man, it would have been wonderful to walk with Jesus. Like, like you know, cause especially when you're trying to sort this stuff out. I don't know, I overthink everything. Just let you know that. I don't know if I, do we have any overthinkers in the house? Do we have anybody who's related, relating with an overthinker and it drives you totally crazy? You know? Just let's see those hands. <laughs> Okay. It's funny, y'all are sitting next to each other, but... Um. <laughs> so I have a tendency to overthink everything, but I would think if I could have walked with Jesus, I could have sorted out all my doctrine. Because, you know, doctrine's important. You want to know the truth, right? You know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so all these questions that I think, you know, if, if you'd have been walking with the Master in the flesh, you could have asked Him these questions. And yet Jesus, telling the people that He walked with, He makes the most interesting statement in John's Gospel. He says, it's expedient for you. Uh, you might have to get your dictionary and look that up if you're like me. But the word expedient simply means it's to your advantage. It's to your benefit. It's better for you if I go away. Because if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He did not say, when I go to my father, I will send you the perfect book. And you'll be able to read the perfect book and get everything straightened out. And then that book will lead you and guide you into all truth. That's really more an invention of the Protestant Reformation than it is Christianity. Are you breathing? I'm not saying that we don't need the Scriptures. Obviously, we're preaching from the Scriptures. I don't want to stumble around in the dark on this journey. I don't want to trip over stones on my path because I have no light or I have no lamp. But I also don't want to, don't want to focus so much on the lamp that I miss the person. 
Right? And so when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, uh, and, you know, we kind of get hung up on whatever our doctrinal preference is about speaking in tongues when we read Acts chapter 2, but, but, but when Peter stood up and commenting about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit actually came uh, to those disciples, he didn't stand up and say, this is that which was spoken and, and start quoting verses that prophesied something about speaking in tongues. What he said was, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and your young men will do what? They will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit empowers you to be able to see so you can connect with the realm that is not seen. And I don't know where there is a place in our discipleship for teaching people in our culture to honor the more intuitive ways of knowing. For example, how many of us know how to honor our dreams? Our dreams at night when we're dreaming. Because there's actually a verse in the book of Job that says God will give you your instruction in the night when you dream. So every night when you dream, there is the possibility and the potential and the scriptural validation that God is sealing personal instruction for you in your own heart. But we just ignore them and say, well, that was a pizza dream, that was a nightmare, that was an anxiety dream, that was a really good dream, I wish I could go back and have that dream again. (laughs) And so we have no framework within our culture for really how to understand that stuff or walk with that stuff. So you know what we do? When we, when we finally get awakened to the reality of dreams and that God might be speaking to us in our dreams, what do we do? Come on. We go out and buy a book on dream interpretation because we're addicted to books. And so we want somebody else to tell us what our dream meant. And how do you know they got it right? See, I told you I overthink stuff. So at some point, you just got to begin to engage with the presence of God and begin to allow God to unfold something in your life. And here's the thing I have learned above all else about how God speaks. When God speaks, there's a pattern. Let me give you some examples. August, actually it was August 13th of this year, I had the strangest, most impactful encounter in a vision that I maybe have ever had. I mean, I've had several visions that have been very impacting. This one was very strange. This one was very impacting. And this one was very disruptive. And as I was thinking about it, as I was journaling it, as I was uh, sharing about it, the thing that I kept saying to myself was, I feel like I woke up. I feel like I've had an awakening. I was beginning to see things in my life totally differently than the way I had seen them before. It was like I went into this encounter one way, and I came out of the encounter awake and seeing differently than I had before. So I'm talking about an awakening. So I get invited to speak at a revival at highest praise. I do it every year. And they always pick a theme. Uh, one year it was breaking every chain. Another year it was prepare for war. This year, when they send me a thing, this is after August 13th, sometime the end of September, they send me a thing for the revival. And they said, oh, the theme for the conference is awakening. Okay. Isn't that interesting? 
So I'm going to Kenya, and definitely cover your prayers. I'll be with uh, our friends, uh, Francis and Beth. I'll be with them in Naivasha, which is just outside of Nairobi. Uh, they've got a powerful church. Uh, if you've been here with us when we've had them, you know the powerful ministry that they have. I'll be with them for a couple of days. Then I will fly to Eldoret with Bishop George Gichana. Some of you remember Bishop George. And I'll be with Bishop George. We'll do crusades. We'll do, um, he's probably got, conservatively, we said about 7,000. I think he's got closer. I know one of the meetings, when I was there a couple of years ago, I spoke in just one meeting to 11,000 people in his church. Um, so literally tens of thousands of people that we're going to be able to impact. And it's his anniversary, and so they're having an anniversary conference. And so just last week, he sends me the theme for the anniversary conference. Guess what the theme is for the anniversary conference? Awakening. So when you're awake and you pay attention, everything in your life will start to connect if you know how to walk intuitively with the Lord. A couple of years ago, I don't know why I'm doing this. A couple of years ago, I was really, you know, um, one of the movements that has impacted me and influenced me has been what people call the prophetic movement, which I think is a total mess, just for the record, especially on this election year. I just get triggered every time I think about it. So let me, let me get out of my stuff for a minute. But the, the kind of the, the archetype or the image that people glorify in the prophetic movement is the eagle, <laughs> right? And so I would have people give me eagles. I had people give me a ring that had an eagle on it. I had an eagle for my little, uh, what do you call that thing? Avatar or whatever on my computer. Is that the right term, Greg? Is that right? Uh, little eagle picture. And I'm just sitting there minding my own business one, one day, and the Lord just speaks to me. He just speaks to me. He said, Aaron, that season is over for you. And I had an eagle ring that I used to wear. He said, I want you to take it off. And he said, I'm going to teach you something different. And, and what he said was, I'm going to use a dove. I'm going to contrast the nature of a dove with the nature of an eagle. Because what I'm really after in this hour is not the eagles. I'm after the dove. Wow. So by faith, I take that. I take my ring off. I set it on the uh, on my dresser or whatever, put it away. I go to church that night. I preach. Somebody who was attentive enough... <laughs> To come up to me and said, they said, I don't understand this. I said, you don't always wear your ring, that ring that you wear on your right hand. But I notice you're not wearing it tonight. And the Lord just wants me to tell you it's significant. Okay. The next day, two doves move into our yard. Kid you not. (laughs) Then pretty soon, a whole flock of doves. Then I go to the old church building on Adams and there's doves everywhere, right? Uh, I share it with our pastoral staff. I start sharing some stuff. They come back with me and they say, man, we've got doves that just moved in in our yard. And so now there's doves everywhere. So we're looking to buy a building, right? And that's a whole message in and of itself. I don't even know why I'm sharing this today. But... We, we buy this building, and I gotta be honest, cause this is how I function. I'm looking for the pattern. That's what I'm talking about. If something comes totally out of left field, and there's not a pattern that's emerging, it's probably not God. My avatar, my ego avatar, like I'm like the most, I mean anybody will tell you, anybody, especially Richard Holmes, if he was here, he would tell you. I'm like one of the most technologically 
illiterate people on the planet. Seriously, I mean, it's terrible. No, well, okay, maybe not on the planet, but I'm pretty, I don't know how to fix stuff. So I, somehow I got that eagle up there, but I didn't know how to get it off, right? I never messed with it. So I go during this whole time, the like couple of weeks that's going on or whatever, and I open up my computer and my avatar automatically changed itself. How does that happen? To another symbol that I don't have time to get into, that, has, that ended up emerging with total significance to everything that was connecting with everything God was showing me in that season. So we go to buy this building, and I'm like wrestling, do we buy this building, do we stay where we're at, what do we do? And, and I'm looking for doves, right? So every time we come, and we came and looked at this building a bunch of times, I would drive by it every time on my way home, I would drive by it every time on my way into, into town, and I'm looking, are there doves? There were no doves, there were pigeons. Now in the Bible, to be fair, a pigeon and a dove were not distinguished. Never saw a dove. Never. And I was looking. So we go and sign the papers on the building. We buy the building. Sign the papers at the title company. I'm driving home from town. As I'm driving home from town, there is a dove perched on the cross right as I'm driving by. And then we had all these doves that moved in. Now see, you start talking this way to western-minded people, they think you're nuts. You talk this way to an ancient person, you talk this way to a more indigenous person, uh, a culture that's more in touch with creation, that's more in touch with dreams and visions and the intuitive ways of knowing, and they would say, well, of course. Of course that would happen. So for some of us, we cannot be successful in the life of faith until we learn a different way of relating to God and learn how to honor the more intuitive ways like dreams, visions, impressions, and understanding how to interpret the signs that are in our lives that create patterns and learning how to interpret those patterns as they emerge in our life. Are you breathing? So when you read the Bible story, there is a pattern. God does not, God starts talking to Abram really about seed in Genesis 12, and he keeps talking to him about his seed all the way through. He doesn't change course. And that's one of the problems in the prophetic movement is people get a prophetic word, or they'll hear a message, or they think someone else has a greater in with God than they do, because they know themselves, and they don't know that person, right? So then that person presents themselves in a certain way, and so you get a prophetic word, and it may be totally disconnected from everything in your life, but you're going to grab hold of it. Don't do that. Don't let me preach something that's totally disconnected from where you're at, and just take it and internalize it, and try to go do it. Don't do that. Understand the pattern that is emerging out of your own personal relationship with the Lord and then take whatever you hear that enhances or details or fits within that pattern and integrate it and everything else was for somebody else. You are not the only person I'm talking to this morning. Not everything I say is for you. All right. So the first thing is you have to have an encounter with God. And you got to know that God is good. God shows up to Abram as a resource. God shows up to Abram and says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. 
He shows up as an empowering, liberating, and blessing presence. Unfortunately, in much of our world, God is not viewed as empowering, as blessing, or as freeing. God is viewed by a lot of people as the cosmic rule keeper and rule enforcer who wants to make sure that everybody does right and is meticulously interested in everything that goes on in your life, even the, 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 the little things that go on inside your imagination. And so we got to get rid of all that stuff because it's not pleasing to God. And that's how we approach things. And I'm going to tell you, it creates a very restricting, constricting version of God that leads to a war against yourself and leads to you oppressing and suppressing visions and, and passions and purpose and desire and, and, and can become one of the most dehumanizing things on the planet. And that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible does not show up needing you to perform to make Him feel better. The God of the Bible shows up as an empowering, liberating, freeing, and blessing presence who freely offers Himself to you, but then you have to choose to connect and align yourself with Him by faith. He is not the kind of God that forces something on you, pushes something on you, makes you do something. He comes up and offers you what is in Him and what is in His heart and what was in His heart for you when He created you. And He gives you a chance to connect. Listen to me. Here's the thing. God created you. And God made you good. God did not make you a rotten sinner waiting to send you to hell. God is not this this monster God who's hanging you like a spider, like Jonathan Edwards would say, hanging you like a spider over the fires of hell, disgusted with you, waiting to cast you off. That is not who God is. God created you, and God created you good. And God put talents inside you, and gifts inside you, and passions inside you, and all kinds of diversity inside you, because He wanted a unique expression of of who you were in the earth. He doesn't want you conforming yourself to everybody else's pattern. He does not want you conforming yourself to a cultural pattern and He does not want you conforming yourself to a religious pattern or to a cultish pattern or to an organizational pattern or to somebody else's kingdom. There are a lot of pharaohs out there. Some of them are behind pulpits. And they would love to enslave you to build their own treasure city. It's absolutely true. And so we want conformity. We don't want free thinking. We don't want questions. We don't want challenges. We want everybody to line up with a certain pattern because then we can enrich ourselves. Oops. God wants a unique expression. God uniquely made you with a temperament. God uniquely made you with a personality. God uniquely made you with talents and spiritual gifts. And He wants you to freely express who He uniquely made you to be. That really... And and so when you're connecting... Here's the thing. When you connect with your Creator, what you're really connecting with at the same time is the deepest level of who you are as His creation. So God is sending me to Africa, but temporarily. Because there is nothing in me that's designed to adapt to living in a third world country as a missionary. So I never have to worry about 
If I give my life to Jesus, is he going to send me to Africa as a missionary and make me miserable? Because people that are really called, they can't wait to get over there. Jeff and Mary, you guys know them? They, they, I mean, they're designed and built for it. God, God built that in them. So for them to go to Africa to serve as missionaries is to connect with God at the deepest level of their being and be able to create that reality by faith. See, you and I cannot even begin to operate by faith until we connect with what God has put us, put inside us at the deepest levels of our lives. And this is where sometimes we get messed up because look at what Abram does. God shows up and says, I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. And Abram says, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me seeing I go childless? He doesn't throw himself at his feet and say, oh, yes, I will serve you the rest of my life. What do you want me to do? If you want me to go to Zimbabwe, I'll go to Zimbabwe. If you want me to go to Far East Russia, I'll go. If you want me to stay in Pueblo. (laughs) Just tell me what to do. God's not telling anything. Please hear this. God is not telling Anything. All God's doing is revealing Himself. And when God reveals Himself in His goodness, Abram awakens to what's really in his heart. And he expresses it in the presence of God. What are you going to do for me, seeing that I go childless? So the first thing is you've got to be able to engage God in a personal relationship. But the second thing is you've got to know how to engage what's in your own heart. You've got to be able to clarify what you want. And you've got to be able to clearly articulate it. And that's hard for us. Because we're taught to suppress that, repress that, not listen to it. We've been disappointed. Don't get your hopes up. Whatever. But that is part of the spiritual journey. And that's one of the ways you can know that you really met God. You, if, you, if you have an encounter that leaves you feeling shameful, that, feels you leaving, that leaves you feeling condemned, that leaves you putting yourself down, you encountered something else. When you encounter your Creator, He awakens the depths of your being and the very thing that you were created to accomplish. Then it's your job, my job, to get in touch with that and put it out there. Are you, are you breathing? <laughs> then the, 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 the last part of this is you have to be able to shift your mental focus, the image that you're beholding, from what is seen that does not match your heart's desire to what is unseen that aligns with it. What will you give me seeing I go childless and this guy is going to be my heir? Right? So what does God do? Does God just talk to him and say, well, confess that you're the father of many nations a few times and it'll, it'll change for you. Is that what he tells him? What's he do? He takes him out. Well, first thing he does, he takes him outside. 
Now, you and I read that because we're not used to reading with any kind of depth, and we think maybe he was in his tent, and God took him out and showed him the stars. But the word for take outside there is the same word that's used for Moses to describe the exodus. It wasn't just, let's go outside and look at the stars. It was God initiating for Abram an exodus event that would get him out of the bondage of limitation that he was enslaved to and liberate him to experience what his heart really longed for. So he had to get outside of his own mess. And this is the hardest part. Because we, we can become so habitual and so ingrained in our thinking that we can only think certain ways about situations. And the only way Abram could think about his situation was, I'm old, my wife is old, we're not going to have children, we're past the age of childbearing, and this guy is going to be my heir. That was the box, what had seen and happened and all the messages that he'd received, that was the box that God had to get him an exodus out of before he could teach him something else. So here's the really difficult part of this. In order for you to have what you've never had, you have to let go of what you've always known. In order for you and I to have what we've never had that matches the longing of our heart, we have to get outside of everything we've always known. And if you're a control freak... That's really hard for you because your sense of safety, watch this, your sense of safety is tied to your ability to predict what is coming so that you can cope with it and deal with it and navigate it. So it's your need to predict the future (laughs) that anchors your feelings of safety. Which is why the very first thing that God says about himself to Abram is, I am your shield. Because until you can feel safe with Jesus, you'll never be able to leave your controlling patterns and have the kind of exodus event that you need where you stop predicting your own future based on your own internalized perceived limitations of who you are and what you can have. So you have to, have to, have to. See, see if, if my God is overly moralistic, what do I do with the parts of me that haven't been healed yet? What do I do with the parts of me that haven't been processed yet? What do I do with the parts of me that are incongruent? If, if I have to have everything just right for God to work with me, for God to relate to me, for God to love me, what do I do with that stuff? I can tell you what you do. You repress it. You deny it. You disown it. You separate yourself from it. And it turns into a monster inside your own life. It turns. The, 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 I'm going to use a term. It's going to upset somebody, but who cares? Um, it, I, I, I'm using it in the right way, okay? I'll say it this way, because if I say it the way I want to say it, you're going to get triggered. The psychological energy that you are disconnecting from will transform itself into an idol that you will mistake 
as the voice of God in your life, as the source of condemnation that will keep you in your box rather than liberating you from it. If I believe God can't deal with that stuff. God can't handle that stuff. Does that make sense to you? So you're able to own your entire self, the good, the bad, the ugly, the broken, the messed up, the depressed, the moody, the whatever, right? And realize I'm still secure with God. That's the issue. See, Jesus really did come to be your savior or to make it safe for you. And so the message of the cross really isn't God had to punish Jesus so he could feel better about you. The message of the cross is God loves you so much that even in your worst day of rejecting him, he's willing to shed his blood and die for you. That's how much he wants to have a relationship with you. The cross is not the turning of the Father's heart. It is the revelation of the Father's heart for humanity. It's not the cause of forgiveness. It's the revelation of forgiveness that has already been granted because God wants to have relationship. So when I understand I'm safe even in my misery, I'm safe even in my sin, I'm safe even in my worst day with God, I can stop denying all that stuff and I can let go of my controlling patterns and I can say, okay, I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to allow life to unfold rather than try to influence every single outcome to line up with my predictability because I don't feel safe navigating unknown and uncharted territory. You doing all right? So then God speaks to him and takes him outside himself and shows him something different. He takes him up into the heavens. He takes him up into the heavens and shows him the stars and said, look, Abram, this, man, if we could just understand God. I mean, that's what I'm pleading this morning. If we could just understand the heart of God. God wants to bring you an exodus out of your limited existence and paint a different picture for you out of his abundance of what is possible and what you could potentially have. And so he takes him into the heavens. And the Hebrew word for heaven means the expanse or that which expands. And he expands Abram's vision. And he says, look at this. This is how your seed will be. So the second thing is, or the third thing, or I don't know, I forgot my list already. <laughs> but we have to be willing to shift from what we see to shift our, in our imagination to what we can't see that God is releasing into our life. And how do I know what God's releasing into my life? It will always align with my deepest, most heartfelt desires. And if it does not align with my deepest, most heartfelt desire, it's not God. And when I begin to take my desire and my imagination and I begin to line them up, there's, there's this thing of internal congruence. That begins to come in place in my life. The word congruence just means something that's in harmony or something that matches. So that what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and what I'm seeing in the imagination of my heart is coming into an alignment. And I have to lock on to that. 
I have to lock my focus onto that so that in my imagination, I'm creating a different future so that with my feelings, I'm experiencing the entrance into that future before it even happens. Because when it says Abraham believed God, something shifted at the level of heart, at the level of feeling. Because you don't believe something that you don't feel. You just think about it. See, somebody says, I- I'm going to trigger you. Sorry. I know I'm going to upset you. Probably shouldn't even go here. But that's never stopped me in the past. <laughs> People say, who are you going to vote for in the election? I'm not. I'm not. And that sounds un-American to some people. You know, well, soldiers died for your right. I was talking to one of my friends that was in the Navy. They, they died for your right to... They were telling him, they died for your right to vote. And he said, they also died for my right not to vote. And it's not because I'm conflicted. And it's not because I'm afraid to commit. And it's not because I think God's going to hold me accountable for my vote. How does that work? I'm standing on Judgment Day and God says, well... You didn't vote for the one that wants to kill babies, and you didn't vote for the one that was trying to... Oh, Jesus. You didn't vote for the other guy, and we can list his... I just can't. I can't do it. And you know why? Because I don't feel it. I can think about both candidates, I can think about the issues, but I just, in my heart of hearts, I cannot get passionately behind either candidate. And I'm going to tell you what God told me on December 31st, you can take it to the bank, Talk, call me out four years from now if I'm wrong. Call me out, I'll stand here and say I was absolutely wrong. But God told me on December 31st, he said, don't get emotionally invested in this election because neither candidate is going to make a hill of beans difference in the direction that this country goes. So if you think one candidate is going to get elected and everything's going to go to hell, you're wrong. And if you think another candidate's going to get elected and fix everything, you're also wrong. Because what God is trying to show the church is that our hope is not in a political candidate. And it's not in a movement, and it's not in an ideology. And we lose our ability to speak prophetically to the culture when we marry the culture because of our fear of what might be if we don't vote for the lesser of two evils. All right. So get triggered. Go, go, go have your little time. Get all upset, get angry at your friends because they don't agree with you, mess up your relationships, and then four years from now, when you're still complaining about the mess we're in, let's talk. Because at some point, the church has to get weaned off of this stuff and realize we can have passion, we can have uh, ideology, we can have philosophy, we can have discussions that we hold to passionately that is informed from a kingdom perspective. That is informed from a kingdom perspective. So I can stand with people who believe in the right to life and say, I don't think that increasing our capacity to kill babies is really the direction I want to go. But at the same time, if I want to be pro-life, 
I can stand with a group of people that says maybe we should make quality health care cheaper and more affordable and more accessible to people who are not as financially advantaged. And I can say that is ever bit as much a pro-life statement to me. as trying to preserve the life of the next generation. Or how about this for pro-life? How about, you know, maybe diplomacy should be exhausted to the nth degree before we send our sons and daughters to die for somebody else's political agenda. Maybe if we could figure out a way to reduce war, to reduce violence. I can be pro-life over here. See, we're like, oh, Jesus, why are you doing this to me? The church has to stop being a two-issue kind of community that revolves around honest... uh, I can't say that. There's more than two issues at stake. I can sit here and say the unborn lives matter and I can stand over here as much as I can as a white person with solidarity and say black lives matter. And I'm not going to diminish that cry by saying all lives matter. Because all you're doing is marginalizing Minorities, which is the problem to begin with. I cannot get behind a group. I cannot watch a rally. Here we go. I'm all the way in. I cannot watch a rally filled with white faces, chanting thousands of them. Send the beaners back. I cannot get behind a party whose slogan is Trump that bitch. I just can't do it. I just can't. I can't believe in that. I can't invest in that. I can't. Uh, so, so what? So what? I'm going to stand before God. He's going to hold me accountable for my vote and say, you didn't vote for that. And so your country went to hell. can't do it you know why because it's not Jesus it's not and so where am I standing because see those the answers aren't there really the answers to your life and stuff they aren't there the answers are in here and we have been sold a bill of goods by both parties that try to make us think that they can fix our problems when the problems cannot be fixed out here. They can only be fixed in here. And the only in here I have any influence, access, or control over is the in, the in here. And so I'm going to engage God. See, maybe you haven't seen those videos, but I've seen those videos. They're not doctored. But we ignore that. I said, well, no, it's about this. It's not about that. It's about integrity as a man and a woman of God.
All right, I'm done. I promised I was going to stay out of the political stuff. I promised I was going to stay out of it. I'm going to tell you, it ain't going to make a difference. Not a hill of beans difference. Who gets in? Because God is weaning the church off its political agenda and its merger with the state agenda. So that we can, so he can raise up a company of believing people who have a prophetic voice, who can speak to culture and impact people at the level of their heart. And not just at the voting booth, but in their everyday life. Let's bow our heads. Come on, let's bow our heads. Father, I did my best this morning. Lord, your word is like a fire. It's so powerful. Your presence is so wonderful. Lord, I pray for every person that's here. Lord, I pray that you would soften, melt our hearts even. That you would help us to let go of the fear and the hatred and the anger, the suppression, the oppression of ourselves and of one another. And help us to become a healing presence to ourselves, to everybody we encounter.